today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Fortunate thing, many times, even as believers, we got to get that way. I got a handle on this. Thanks, God. I got it from here. And what happens to you? Same thing happens to me. Usually a crash and burn real quick because I think that I got a handle on it, but I have no clue really what God wants to do. And He might want me to do something totally different than what I figure. Could it be the simplicity of the lie that was once fostered there in the Garden of Eden? You don't really need God. You can be a God yourself. And at the end time, those have just totally forsaken. Think that they're in control. Have you ever thought that you had a situation handled all by yourself? Maybe you even let God know that you've got this one. Pastor David is reminding us that our attempts at independence from the Lord is us falling prey to Satan's simple lie. Our enemy wants us to believe that we can do life without God. There's no version of the story of our life that is better without Christ. He is the only way to eternal life, and He is the only way to a life of peace and fulfillment here on earth. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 18 with today's edition of The Open Word. Even in the midst of the end time events, man remains with this whole idea of denseness and wickedness. The next portion, the angel, it brings on this explanation. It becomes a little bit more complex. And again, it's subject to a whole lot of interpretations. If you've been in Bible studies for very long that have ever gone into the book of Revelation, if you've been to more than one teacher, you've probably got more than three different interpretations, okay? So in verse 9, let's look at that. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven. And he's going to perdition. Okay, so everybody got that? So let's move on. Okay, now, <laughs> I love what the angel says when he starts out this. He says, here is the mind which has wisdom. In other words, you need some spiritual wisdom to even grasp a hold of this in any way, shape, or form. Some spiritual wisdom. So Lord, you know, give us wisdom to be able to understand these things and the things that we don't understand to not sweat it because once again, he's going to perdition. There is an end already that God has designed and purposed for him. But that's why there are so many interpretations of this section of Scripture. Many have said that the seven heads, which are seven mountains on which the woman sits, they say that those actually represent the city of Rome, or they represent Rome. 
a city built on seven hills. The problem is, from that point in, they go on to draw a mass of conclusions from that interpretation. They then go on to speak of the power and the authority of the religious system that has its central location in Rome, which main religious system has its main location in Rome, the Roman Catholic Church. They then go on to speak of this worldwide influence and the wealth which is controlled by the Catholic Church. They speak of the authority that the Catholic Church has over kings and over heads of of state around the world and for centuries. And they paint a very convincing picture. But let me ask you this. Their conclusions are based on their interpretation. What happens if their interpretation is wrong? Then it messes up the conclusion. So I think we need to be careful. I think it could be misleading at best and damaging and destructive beyond that. Are there problems with the Catholic Church? Absolutely. I have a lot of, a lot of theological problems with the Catholic Church. I look at this, I think that maybe what happened if the interpretation here is instead of zeroing in on one religious group, there's a lot of religious groups we could look at and say, we got problems with them, we got problems with them. But instead of doing that, what happens if we looked at it and said, you know what? Maybe it's simply the world's system of things, man's way of doing things. You know, that's what got us in trouble back in the garden, doing it man's way rather than God's way. That's what got us in trouble back at the Tower of Babel, the unrighteousness of man. There was no Catholic church we could blame anything on. There was no Mormon church or Jehovah's Witness. There wasn't any, you know, thing other than man's wickedness and man's system. So just bear with me a moment and think about what does Rome stand for? In John's time, it was the power of the world that John knew. And it was the influence of that part of the world. Maybe the interpretation here is, is these seven heads, these seven mountains, just speaks of the authority or the rule of man in the world outside of God's influence. Rather than following God, the world as a whole continually relies upon its own wisdom, relies upon its own rule, relies upon its own influence, the influence of these powerful men, these kings, these rulers all over the world. Men who, because they refuse to acknowledge God in their life, they've defaulted, they've fallen back into that trap of the enemy, the dragon of Satan himself. They've fallen right back into it. And when the angel speaks of the seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must continue a short time. And the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Well, if you're sticking with the fact that, no, this is the Catholic Church, problem is, is we've already gone way past seven popes, okay? We've had 266, and that's if you count Peter, who the Catholic Church counts as a pope. So we've gone way beyond. It just does not seem to fall into place. However, if you look at it, 
as a system of rule, and even the rulers of John's day, we can look at the idea of these worldwide rulers, or even a progression of world empires. When I'm speaking of world empires, I'm talking to those in that known world. And all we have to do is go and look really at the history of the world. And we know that there were empires in China. There were empires in Egypt, in other areas, in other cultures. These were worldwide empires. They were influenced, not by God, but they were influenced by the wisdom and the power of man, separate away from God. We could go back to the time of Daniel. We could look at the powers even in that area of the world, in that Middle East area where John is writing. All of these anti-God could very much be like an end-time worldwide political system that because of the chaos that's within the world, that man of peace rises up, brings some kind of order into it. This one thing we do know, the basis of the system at the end times, they're going to be under the control of the beast, that false Christ. He gets his power from the dragon, from Satan himself. And as far as the beast, as the angel says here, he's the eighth, he is of the seventh, and he's going to perdition. Well, what does that mean? Maybe what it means is that he's going to have power and authority perhaps before the beginning of the tribulation or in the early part of the tribulation and moves on into the latter part? It's tough to say because he is of the seven, but he's also the eighth. But this one thing we do know, his end is written out. It's clearly foretold. He's going to perdition. So the angel goes on to explain these horns on the beast. Verse 12, the 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. And now, is that symbolic? One hour? Is that really just, okay, you got 60 minutes. How many want to be king for a day? Okay, no. What is he speaking of here? They have a period, they have a time of rule, and yet in the end, they subject themselves to the rule of the beast as that great overruler. Sort of, the beast becomes kind of a king of kings scenario. Again, the whole idea of his status as a false Christ, a pseudo-Christ. They come together for one united purpose. Verse 14, these will make war with the Lamb, and yet the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords. He is King of kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Again, the Lamb the King of kings, the Lord of lords, those that are with him who are the called, the chosen, and faithful, they're going to be victorious over the beast and all of these kings that he brings and the hordes that are with him. But the beast here, those who have sold themselves over to him, they've turned their attention to this world system who feels that she has control over the beast. The woman who sits on the beast. Look what happens here now in verse 15 where she sits on the waters which you saw, the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. But even with all of that influence, all of that power, this great harlot, which I believe is this world system of leadership, is absolutely no match for the power of the beast who gets his power from the dragon, Satan. What does it say here in verse 16? The ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot. 
and make her desolate and naked. They'll eat her flesh and burn her with fire, for God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. It's amazing to me, and I believe it's even for John, how in the midst of all of this chaos, all of the calamity that's going on, God is still working his purpose out. You've got the great harlot. If she is the world system, the world's political and financial system, and thinks that she has control over the beast, the beast turns around and says, oh no, I have control over you. And all those that follow the beast, suddenly it is the destruction of all those who have any kind of leadership or feel that they have any authority in the world system, financial or political. It turns around. This great harlot who had been reigning over the kings of the earth, now these kings who are following the beast turn on her. Could it be that this world system, similar to the times of the Tower of Babel, Or again, everybody's working together. Man thinks that he's in control of his destiny. And whenever man thinks that he's in control of his destiny, he doesn't need God anymore. I've got a handle on this. Unfortunate thing, many times, even as believers, we got to get that way. I got a handle on this. Thanks, God. I got it from here. And what happens to you? Same thing happens to me. Usually a crash and burn real quick. Because I think that I got a handle on it, but I have no clue really what God wants to do. And he might want me to do something totally different than what I figure. Could it be the simplicity of the lie that was once fostered there in the Garden of Eden? You don't really need God. You can be a God yourself. And at the end time, those have just totally forsaken. Think that they're in control. I'm not naive about this thing. I know that even this, this world system, it's still religious because then man will worship power or he'll worship wealth. He worships influence. Man is a creature of worship. We will worship. Rather, we worship God or we worship self or influence or power. We are creatures of worship. Some say, well, no, I don't really believe in God. I'm more of an intellect. You're worshiping intellect. You're worshiping your ability to be able to stand in the midst of things because of your intellect, whatever it might be. You're not worshiping God. You're following your own self. You're following your own plan. It is a worship of self. And as man worships self, the reality is he's fallen prey to the deceitfulness of the enemy. And regardless of how you paint that picture, you're truly worshiping and following the lies of the enemy. Jesus made it very clear. You're either following your father, God, or you're following your father, Satan. One of the two. There is no in-between. When we look at this, it makes sense to me in the simplicity of my own mind. This great harlot is the world system. And then you add chapter 18 to it. You kind of see how that all fits together. In chapter 18, John writes that after these things... I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. I see that, the illumination of the glory of that angel, allowing John to see clearly what's going on. 
And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Remember, we first looked at that back in 14, but I told you, no, that hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen in 17. Now we're looking at the results of it here. Babylon the great is fallen, has fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, a cage for every unclean and hated bird, for all the nations, All the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you. And repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. In the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and I am no widow. I will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burning with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas! The great city of Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Again, the whole collapsing of all that political, all that financial stability, if there was any. It says in verse 11, the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. We speak of these times being, man, you could have a bag of gold. You wouldn't even be able to afford to buy a loaf of bread at that point in time. It says, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of iron, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and incense, and fragrant oil, and frankincense, and wine, and oil, and fine flour, and wheat, and cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and bodies, and souls of men. No one buys them anymore. Complete breakdown of everything. It says in verse 14, The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and say, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance, cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. 
Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. When a mighty angel stood up on a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flutists and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, All the nations were deceived, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and of all who were slain on the earth. It's a powerful picture when you look at the end of everything that man has made, that man has created. It's a powerful picture when you think right now of the power and the influence that man feels that he has and yet can be destroyed just like that. I was actually listening on the radio, and I happened to pick up the study that we did in Peter, Second Peter. And I asked the question that Sunday morning, I'm going to ask you tonight. Do you think that the world can change in just a moment? 9-11 proved that real quick. The world changed quite dramatically. But what happens if it's more than just one thing happening at one place? What happens if God suddenly brings great chaos of hailstones and the seas turn to blood. I mean, immediately happening, the economy, the finances, everything in the world can be changed, boom, like that. I believe absolutely this could happen. I believe that our world could actually get a whole lot worse even before the rapture of the church. I believe in the rapture of the church. I believe that we're going to be out of here before the great wrath of God comes. But I also know history-wise that the church has gone through a lot of tribulation, and we're not immune from that. So my question to you, knowing the beginning and the end, where really do you stand in your life? How strong do you stand in your faith? Should things get really tough in your life, in our life, in the life of this country, how strong is your faith to be able to stand and says, yet I know that my Redeemer lives and at the end will stand upon the earth, though everything else is taken from us. What do you depend upon? What do you stand on? Oh, my faith is in Christ. On Christ alone I stand. Okay? That's easy to say when everything's going swell. Well, what happens when it's not? I don't believe we're going to be here during this time that we're reading about here. But I also believe that it could be a whole lot worse than where we're at right now, should the Lord tarry. I'm fine with the Lord coming back tonight. I don't know about you. He could come back tonight and take us home, but he may not. I've been waiting for it since 1972. I don't know how long you've been waiting for it. When I came to Christ and when I heard the teachings that Jesus is going to take his church out of here, that the end is at hand, we are in the last days, you know what? I was foolish enough to believe it back then. And then in 1982, I still believed it. 1992, I still believed it. 2000, we thought it was going to happen, didn't we? Yeah, Y2K, we thought it was going to happen. He didn't come back then. But the Lord tarries for one reason, 
because of his long suffering and his patience, not willing that any would perish. What's his time frame? We don't know. And so we wait with anxious anticipation. We prepare our hearts to be able to stay strong and to stand strong, whatever our situation Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and we know you'll want to come back for more. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen back through other teachings, you can find them all at theopenword.com under the Teachings tab. We hope today's message has touched your heart, settled some questions you've had, and maybe even caused you to ask a dozen more. If you do have questions, we'd love to do all we can to answer them. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. We'd love to pray for you, too, and learn more about your journey of faith. Once again, that number is 520-836-9676. We believe that God has given us the church so that we can learn more about Him and about living together in community. Are you a part of a local body of believers? If you're in the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has a special invitation for you. Thanks for listening to The Open Word. If you're in the Casa Grande area and looking for a church home, I'd love to meet you and shake your hand welcome you to our community of believers here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet weekly on Saturdays, Sundays, and Wednesdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. You'll be able to find out more about us and get directions by visiting theopenword.com. And under the links at the bottom of the page, click on Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I look forward to meeting you. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. But join us to learn more from the pages of Revelation right here on The Open Word.